The Supply and Chain Podcast with Leo and Christine. We are very excited to welcome Balaji to our new season's episode. Balaji is New Jersey-based supply chain advisor with impressive portfolio of successful fashion brands under his belt. Tommy Hilfiger, Levi's, Echo, Global Brands Group, just to mention few. He recently started a sustainable fashion community called Recyc. And on top of that, he is associate partner for consumer products, retail and logistics at Infosys Consulting. Welcome, Balaji. Balaji, welcome and to, to our podcast. And let's just start with the first question. Do you think it's possible uh, from your point of view and your experience to really achieve transparency in a fashion supply chain? Yeah, it's a very good question. Uh, very relevant too in these times, right? Uh, given where we are in the fashion space. Um, the uh, simple answer is yes, but uh, it's, uh, it's got a long ways to go, in my opinion, right? Uh, because we need to understand, I think, uh, the overall fashion landscape and, you know, uh, the different other issues that exist currently, right? As priorities for the fashion industry. So from that standpoint, I would probably call out uh, a few areas, let's say, for example, uh, which we need to talk about as the higher priority issues for the fashion industry as it stands. Mm -hmm. uh, number one, from my experience, what I see is uh, very siloed working within the organization, right? And by siloed working, I mean, I'm talking about the legacy ways of working in terms of business operations and in terms of organization structure. Now, from a business operations, I talk about, you know, how traditionally most of the fashion companies were, you know, wholesalers, then they move to retail, then there is e-commerce. Now, the way the organizations looks at it is a very, very siloed approach, right? I mean, they still look at it as different, different channels of operations and not clubbing it together to really get to where they want to be for the future, right? So that's one big uh, issue. The other one I see is the organization structure itself. I'm sure you've seen in various fashion companies as you worked with them, you know, in terms of the silos between the business and the IT, there are always different priorities, different needs, different requirements in how they uh, don't necessarily collaborate as much as they should. So I believe that siloed ways of working is, uh, is a big problem in the industry, right? And that's yeah. a legacy way of working, which they need to move away from. Now, that leads to the second bigger issue, in my opinion, which is the lack of customer centricity. What I mean by customer centricity is really understanding what the core customer value proposition is you're looking to provide for your customers and going towards that. Now, you have a siloed approach, which does not let you get to the customer centric yeah. process, right? Um, so... Go ahead. You had a question? Yeah, no, I think these are very valid points. And actually, I would say that for us being here in Asia, right? So not only there is this separation of stores or distribution channels, wholesale, e-com, being a silo on its own, then you have like whatever you have in headquarters, maybe in Europe, maybe in the US doing the design or the business strategy. And then you have the Asia side as well. Like the whole sourcing thing is a silo on its own. We're, we're thinking in sourcing, we're thinking factories, we're thinking logistics but then totally disconnected from, from corporate and even more disconnected from the actual customer who is in actual stores. So this Absolutely. is, so when we talk about, when we talk about visibility, it's even harder when, yeah. you know, we have different priorities or, or different uh, strategies. So, Absolutely. and so another way is like, if you see it, that companies that have, as you were saying, evolving, let's say that have the classic 
you know, retail store. And then later they are like, okay, let's move to e-com. So then that becomes a, a, like a side thing that let's see how it goes, where companies that will start today, they, they don't have to do that. They are starting today and they are thinking in these multi, multi channels, like you can sell different channels online and you prepare on it and you already build it considering all the IT requirements is not that we started, you know, working in a, in a, in, in a small shop and then we acquire a system is like this, the company started with the system. That's right. So, so where do you see that the current challenges in these massive companies that again, they have to deal with history, right? They have to deal, they face the changes. So okay, people are not going to the stores anymore. Let's go to online and let's source in Asia. And they are so big, but all the same, they're kind of slow. Where do yep. you see these transformation challenges happening? That, that, that's an amazing question, right? And it's very important to talk about that more so from a, you know, the bigger companies aspect, right? Because they've been around for a long time and they have these processes uh, which have been in place for them that probably worked for them in the past, yeah. but are not working anymore because of the disruption that's continuously been causing, right? To me, disruption is the only thing constant and companies need to absolutely need to be able to cater to that, right? In terms of how do they set up their core and how do they adapt to the changing circumstances? I think it was, uh, you know, Alex Partners who had written a fantastic article about disruption insights and how does disruption occur, right? What are the reasons for disruption? You look at one of the main reasons for disruption is connectivity, right? There is massive connectivity now and it's been in the past, right? In the last maybe a decade, it's skyrocketed and that along with the uncertainty and the self-centrism, as they call it, which is consumers wanting what they want, when they want, how they want it, right? Yep. And every company needs to adapt to that consumer. They need to understand what does the consumer want and go to them in remarkable ways, right? That's how they stay relevant, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the pandemic especially has given that. And you also mentioned, uh, uh, Leo, in terms of how companies you know, in the past looked at e-commerce. Mm -hmm. They looked at e-commerce as a blip on the radar. They're like, yeah, we'll try e-commerce. Let's see if we can do something with e-commerce, right? Mm -hmm. That's not the state we are in, especially I think 2020 uh, just kind of accelerated. It's, it's the main that. source of income. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? So now companies need to really think, I mean, and to me, there's also a bigger question in terms of, yes, everybody's talking e-commerce and how do we meet the customer? There definitely needs to be a balance, right? E-commerce alone, I know there are digitally uh, vertical native brands, right? Which are uh, DNBBs, which have started off just from an e-commerce standpoint and are growing, but there is always, there is another bigger aspect for e-commerce operations, which we can probably talk about later, but in terms of profitability, in terms of business operations, what the you know, uh, cons are in terms of that business operation, which we can talk about later. But to me, I think businesses need to understand that core transformation, which you spoke about, digital transformation approach and what that means. Uh, I've actually also written an article about the digital transformation approach, right? To me, the core is understanding the customer value proposition that an organization is providing mm -hmm. and there needs to be effective leadership from the top, which can really percolate that culture, putting customer at the center. In a, in a product management terms, it's called design thinking or organizational design. As they speak about organizational design principles, put the customer in the center and see how a company can operate, behave, or change based on that, right? How uh, the customers are changing. So it's very important. And then 
prioritize, understand your pain points. There is no one solution fits all, right, in right. the space. Every organization has their requirements, different problems, but you need to figure out what are your real pain points and how do you prioritize to get to where you want to be. I wanted to see from your expertise, have you seen actually any feasible platform which would be able to connect from A to Z? Because yes, one thing is that the silo teams, however, have you ever seen a platform which would connect from A to Z? I mean, there are some challenges like Suchi and stuff. Have you seen anything else than that? In a fashion landscape as varied, uh, it's a very complex uh, ecosystem. Let's just put it that way, right? It's not easy for any one solution, one technology to provide everything that a particular organization will need. It's just, uh, in my opinion, not possible. Uh, But what is possible is, given where we are moving in terms of innovation and technology, Like I said, figuring out there is definitely a core, right? There is a core uh, kind of a backend systems or a set of solutions that you could utilize for you to get most of your uh, kind of operations done, right, transactionally. But you need some other core systems around that, which will uh, couple together easily, forming a very seamless landscape in terms of like utilizing microservices, utilizing cloud applications. Now, if you look at, you know, from a spend standpoint, uh, you know, most of the companies right now are looking at spend from an IT spend. The number one priority is on going to cloud applications. To cloud. Number two is moving to cloud infrastructure, right? Mm-hmm. So gone are the days of the, uh, you know, uh, data centers and on-premise uh, kind of systems. So around 65% of the companies last year, based on research, are looking at moving to cloud applications and 61% are looking at second priority to be moving to cloud infrastructure. So to your question, I don't believe there is one system that could uh, that could provide everything that a company needs. But again, it goes back to the stage that a particular company is in. Just to use an example, some of the progressive market players who are vertically integrated, what are the systems you feel are the biggest trends for, uh, for our listeners to, uh, to learn from your experiences and your projects you have worked on? There are multiple different solutions you are looking at, right? You look at different areas. You look at product design development. Then you look at, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the whole supply chain, right? So, I mean, product design development, you got planning, then you got your entire transactional uh, procurement, you got manufacturing, you got, uh, uh, you know, from an order to cash standpoint, distribution, logistics, and then financials. So mm-hmm. most of this, I would say, let's say from, uh, you know, leaving alone, let's say the product design development, maybe the rest of it could possibly be encapsulated within a, ERP system. Just, yeah, so, a massive it, ERP that has all these different modules. But yeah, exactly. th- th- this is this is my, my question actually like fits like in, in this topic because okay, uh, we may have uh, people listening that are in, in a small companies, sure, that they can just say one solution covers the whole operation. Yes. But we have people also that are working in bigger companies that are making this transition. And this is where it kind of gets to this this great territory of knowing, okay, what is the line between buying this massive ERP that ha- can do all these things, but as well, it needs a lot of maintenance and it's heavy, or you know, maybe buying bits and pieces of this, comp- of this software is really good at this and this one, and then trying to figure out how to merge them all together, or even worse, what I've seen all the bigger companies do is just buy stuff and then just having an, in, a, you know, an in-house team just make a, a, you know, a, a, a Frankenstein out of Frankenstein monster out of all these systems and just, just become something totally different. 
So Absolutely. Where, where do you think, based on your experience in different companies, what has been the, uh, the, the strategy that works best for these uh, bigger companies? One, you know, from a digital transformation approach that I spoke about, mm -hmm. understand what your real pain points are and then prioritize to go in an agile manner towards the future. Set up your core and then go towards the uh, future. So mm -hmm. to your question, what is the strategy I use for me to get to, let's say, a future state in five years, but where do I start? Like, what do I do first, right? Understand the pain points and prioritize to get the best bang for the buck. What gives you the most return on investment in the short term? That's most critical. So from there, you build on it, right? You don't, uh, so you need to have that evaluation process done up front so you understand and go in the microservices architecture, I would say. Uh, go with that design where you go with smaller chunks. So you can yeah. chew it off and get return on investment and adoption from the business and move and grow uh, using that. What do you see? Are, what are the most innovative recent fashion supply chain initiatives, perhaps any startups you have seen in a tech scene? Because yes, you are saying we all are moving to cloud and that's pretty straightforward and that's very much a, pl a plug and play yep. mentality. But how to do it? Because yep. again, we're going back to silos. We still want to work on a connectivity point Absolutely. here. That's a fantastic point. So let's go by areas, right? So I was talking about product design development, right? Uh, I think product design development, I'm sure Leo, uh, you know, with your uh, background and experience as well, yeah. I believe that's one of the most archaic, uh, you know, kind of how customers have stayed back uh, in their legacy ways of working. And there are a lot of startups which are digitizing the entire product design development uh, landscape, right? So I would call like a Clo 3D, uh, which is a startup which works on digitizing uh, a product design yeah. development. There is another startup yeah. called DressX. Uh, which is doing some amazing digitization, uh, providing that line boarding, providing the entire uh, digital platform for product design and development end-to-end, -end, which are very innovative and very uh, easily adaptable, right? And it actually works. And there are customers which are adapting these technologies and working through it. Uh, from a logistics standpoint, I would look at uh, someone like uh, Flexi. Uh, Flex I mean, logistics is right for innovation, Uh, given how the e-commerce businesses are, you know, yeah. uh, burgeoning right now and growing. And logistics is a big problem from an e-commerce standpoint. So uh, there is a lot of innovation happening around there. I would call Flexi, which is an on-demand warehouse space uh, logistics provider, oh. uh, which is doing great things. Uh, and uh, from a logistics standpoint, uh, robotics and automation are something that is really, really picking up. And much needed, right? And you know, in terms of how do you turn around faster? How do you pick uh, for e-commerce logistics, which is like single piece units, right? That is a big uh, pain point because traditionally warehousing has been for bulk shipping. And yeah. uh, as you move towards e-commerce, it's been a bigger pain point. And so there is companies like uh, Bionic Hive, yes. Bionic yeah. Hive, which is a, an extremely good startup, which is working on warehouse logistics robotics. Uh, then there is also uh, from a packaging standpoint, right? Uh, there's a startup called Slash Packaging, which works on uh, with the sustainable packaging philosophy. Now, sustainability is another big topic in the fashion space, yeah. which we could talk about maybe a little bit later. But that uh, and then uh, some of the B2C companies, right? I mean, you talk about Shopify, probably not being yeah. not uh, looked at as a startup any longer. But uh, I believe their philosophy uh, and their uh, way. But there's definitely a disruption. Done. In the way I was in the industry. It's unbelievable. 
Uh, they're one of the top, uh, growing into one of the top technology companies out there. Um, and then talk about sustainability. Um, amazing uh, startups around there. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of a company called Eon, E-O-N, who actually provide uh, uh, digital IDs, uh, digitizing product information. It's a yeah. digital birth certificate uh, provided for uh, products and enabling circular economy, right? Uh, which is a big topic in the fashion industry. Uh, it's it's already too late uh, yeah. uh, from an unsustainable fashion industry for them to move towards that. Uh, in fact, Eon has uh, partnered with uh, Microsoft and some big customers like PVH, Target, and H&M have partnered with them to digitize up to around 400 million products by 2025, which is you know an amazing uh, thing. Yeah. And um, another one is uh, Lableco, uh, which is actually a circular fashion blockchain provider. Now, blockchain uh, and talk about disruption in technology. Um, you know, blockchain is a, a technology I believe will be a huge disruptor in the yeah. coming years, uh, especially from a fashion supply chain standpoint. And to your first question, Leo and uh, Christine, you spoke about transparency in the fashion supply chain. Now, one of the core tenets of blockchain is transparency. Uh, yeah. You know, on the other two being decentralization and uh, immutability. So I believe. Uh, you know, I am personally doing some research myself on blockchain in terms of what the use cases could be for fashion supply chain and how transparent we could make it. You're a man that has the sometimes thankless job of bringing technology to an old industry. What is your favorite myth of the fashion supply chain? Um, it's a good question, right? Uh, I think a couple of them come to mind. One, um, I would talk about the ethical fashion, I think we spoke about that a little bit, right? Uh, you know, in terms of how that hazardous loop of excess production, excess buying, everybody started buying it, pent up demand, not knowing the harm that it was causing the environment. And yeah. it still is. It still is, right? I mean, not enough people understand really from a consumer standpoint, from a Correct. demand standpoint, uh, the harm that's causing and how unsustainable that is. If you look at the fashion industry, it's the second most polluting industry after oil industry in the world. Uh, around 10% of all gas emissions are actually from the fashion industry. It leads to around 20% of water pollution uh, caused by the, uh, you know, uh, is caused by the fashion industry uh, and so on. So that's one of the myths that I think we're turning a corner uh, where, uh, you know, consumers are being aware of what the harm is, etc. Mm -hmm. And another one I would talk about is really uh, a myth about, from a consumer standpoint, uh, an e-commerce versus an online um, versus a brick and mortar. The myth mm. is that e-commerce is much more profitable for an organization to do versus going to the stores and so on, which is really not true. I mean, e-commerce is a drain on profitability just in general for uh, businesses and organizations because logistics is a nightmare, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know uh, if you've been following. We are actually in the midst of what they call a hashtag return again. Uh, post holidays uh, because yeah. uh, of the massive e-commerce uh, activity that we've seen and where we are right now. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, logistics is a nightmare. Uh, uh, customer conversion on, on an online, uh, you know, e-commerce is actually around 10 to 12%, while you look at a brick and mortar is around 25 to 30%. Mm -hmm. And we all know that customer retention is much more economical than new customer acquisition. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, digital marketing spend as, you know, through the roof. And we all know how the digital marketing spend has been increasing through, you know, the Facebooks and the Googles and the uh, Instagrams of the world. Um, the final one I would say is the returns, which is, uh, you know, the big elephant in the room. 
returns in online or e-commerce is around 40 to 50 percent, while you talk about a brick and mortar, which is eight to 10 percent. Uh, organizations spend around 10% of their supply chain costs just on managing returns. It, it's, it's an unbelievable, uh, you know, pain. Um, so I would say that is another myth uh, from a consumer standpoint uh, that people don't really understand in terms of uh, what that means. And so organizations it, now are... It's either, it's either we... I guess as a, as, a, as, a, as a consumer, you don't want to know. It's like knowing <laughs> what happens with your clothes when you return it to the stores... It's like asking how my sausage is made. You know, you don't you don't want to know. Like you just you just enjoy the service that you can just go to the store, no questions asked, and just give it up, give it back. Uh, I was I was in a in a conference the other day that people return more things online because they're just upset that they are not an M anymore. So they just buy M. They know they're not M. They, they, there's no way they're gonna fit in this M. They buy the M. They try it. It doesn't fit. Why? Because they're not M anymore. Like they stopped being M five years ago. So then they return it because they're not M. And, and obviously, you know, like it, 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 it online is even, even, even easier to, to, to just buy things and thinking that this is what you want, but no, you, you just buy the L it's fine. And you're going to like fact, it, you know? In fact, that goes back to, uh, you know, the uh, issues in the supply chain of it, right. And utilization of that data through the supply chain. So, for example, I mean, we're talking about sizing. Uh, vanity sizing is a big problem in the fashion space, right? In terms of how the sizing uh, is, uh, comes about uh, from a product design development process. And then you talk about buying different sizes online. It's called bracketing, right? Mm -hmm. They buy different sizes, small, medium, uh, and large, let's say, or zero, one, two, whatever, yeah. and then return the one that doesn't fit. I, I try one now, and then return the rest. Exactly. So, but the problem on the other side is yes, uh, I completely agree to what you said in terms of consumers don't want to know when you're buying that. It, yeah. it doesn't matter. But in the long run, I feel that's what's leading to uh, the unsustainable processes Correct. because of the excess inventory. And most of it, actually speaking, only around 50% of the return merchandise goes back on shelves. Everything mm. else is going to landfills, right? Yep. And it's being burnt. And that leads to the carbon emissions that we were talking about. Uh, which makes them the second most polluting industry in the world. So it, it's a cycle. And I yeah. feel, uh, you know, uh, consumers are being educated and being more aware these days, especially Absolutely. the Gen Z and the millennials are actually pushing the companies to be more uh, environmentally conscious and responsible. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's a big step towards uh, moving towards sustainability. I agree, Balaji. I, I believe that there's a lot of customers who are looking what's happening. As you, Leo mentioned before about the food, I think there's a group of customers who are very willing to know and understand and learn, and we have all these opportunities to do so. Absolutely. And I guess fashion is opening up to that as well. And I have a question. What You need to choose one only. What technology do you think will disrupt the existing fashion ecosystem? Uh, no doubt in my mind, it's blockchain. Okay. Uh, blockchain technology is here to stay. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the uh, use cases are plenty. Uh, and uh, given where the fashion industry, honestly speaking, I think the fashion industry is trying to move towards more transparency. And uh, the right technology for that would be blockchain. You know, it's a decentralized network, provides peer-to-peer -peer relations. Uh, I think it's setting itself up. Yes, there is ways to go. Uh, but uh, I believe that is here to stay. And uh, we'll, we will see a lot of innovation on that uh, technology. 
Um, but I mean, and here's the, the the problem with it, right? Like the uh, the blockchain being so such a hype word, it it can turn into a cliche, right? Like it can turn into IoT, you know, like mm-hmm. put a screen into everything. How to not let this this uh, I don't know, like hype around blockchain yeah. and keep it under control or being mindful of how we use it before we just start trying to bring blockchain to anything and just stops adding value. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a that's a very good point, right? Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, talking about these uh, tag words and uh, everybody talking about the same, but not really understanding what it means or what it can really do, right? And that's where, you know, I was talking about a company like Lableco, which was actually looking at providing uh, 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 traceability uh, mm-hmm. through the supply chain. That's where I was talking about like an eon, uh, where they're looking at providing a digital ID on a network, uh, which can actually provide that traceability for products. That's where they're starting, right? That's a starting point. Now, where do you start? You have to start somewhere. So such innovations around in the fashion supply chain, like those two companies, I believe, would lead to a lot more, right? In terms of providing that visibility across the supply chain or traceability of products. Yeah. Now, yes, we talk about existing solutions, which also provide that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you, you need to have a well-integrated landscape exactly. for you to get that visibility. And there is, I'm not saying there is no visibility and it's only blockchain that's going to resolve every problem in the world. Yeah. Uh, but uh, most definitely, I believe the potential of a technology like blockchain could lend itself for, for us to get that transparency. And so uh, I, I uh, would you know, encourage uh, you know, people uh, follower, uh, to follow these companies who are actually innovating on these platforms to understand what a starting point could look like, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would go to that product traceability first uh, and then figuring out how can we use that in the subsequent stages for a circular economy. There is a resale, there's recycling, there is uh, so many other aspects that could come into uh, that circular economy, which could be utilized as we move forward. Can you share with us, uh, maybe in your in your career and your experience, one a, a big challenge or maybe failure, and and what were you learning from it? Um, I could possibly think about um, you know one of the customers I was working with, uh, where they were looking to diversify and expand their target uh, consumer base uh, into the specialty markets, mm-hmm. right? And uh, while they were at that particular uh, phase, they were evaluating a, uh, let's say, a B2B solution to go to market with in terms of how do we go to market or expand our market in the specialty space and acquire more customers. Uh, Now, I did go into that uh, midway uh, or maybe once it started, but the evaluation process, again, because of how uh, kind of a siloed approach or the organization state. Uh, they went through the evaluation process, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And then picked a particular B2B solution to be implemented. And we did implement. I actually led that uh, project. We implemented the entire uh, mm-hmm. uh, solution and then found out that it did not work for the, uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, for the business requirements. Now, again, going back to some of my learnings and what I said about the digital transformation approach that I spoke about, I have formed those approaches based on my learnings or you know, yeah. failures of what has happened in my past. So we found out that you know, the B2B solution that was picked and implemented did not really provide all of the uh, solutions for the problems that the businesses had. 
And yeah. so all of the investment that was done for that particular B2B solution was a waste. It's wow. still lying around. It's not being utilized like the way it was. It's yeah. supposed to be. And so I go back to really understanding what is that customer, who is the customer for anything we are trying to do, right? Sometimes it is internal organizations. Sometimes it's the external consumers or customers that we're dealing with. So you yeah. need to really understand that and then figure out what the pain points are. Sometimes I feel leadership or management organizations look at ripping out a piece of software, implementing a new software, calling that the digital transformation. Yeah. And to me, that's not a digital transformation. <laughs> it does not mean that we have to just rip out what's legacy and put in a new, you know, shiny piece of software <laughs> exactly. and call that a digital transformation. So yeah. to me, it's really important to understand the core customer value proposition, understand what the pain points are that we are trying to resolve, then prioritize, go at it in smaller chunks, agile. And that is a learning that I've learned. And I try and use it at every customer, every conversation that I try to uh, have with my customers. Yeah, and, and I'm sure it, it's, it's very important for a, a lot of companies today. I mean, if you survive 2020 and you're trying to, to make business in 2021, it's, it's going to be a big temptation to decide, okay, in what trend I'm going to jump on because you're going to feel like I need to catch up, I need to go fast. And it's so easy to just be tempted to just buy this software to, to get this and this is going to help me. And, and as you said, yeah. if it's not in the right strategy, it's not based on your business needs or even like part of a bigger plan, nothing's going to happen. You're just going to invest money in, in having this nice car in the garage. That's, yeah, that's right. Two or three years later, you're back uh, uh, you know, where you started. For me, how it sounds and, and maybe adding my own, um, own experience with own experiences, that would be... Um, we need to ask right questions. We need to be smart what questions we ask. Absolutely. I think, I think, I mean, to me, um, the core, the core is two things, customer value proposition and the culture of an organization. Mm -hmm. uh, I think those two are really, really key. Uh, and it's not it, uh, the culture I speak about because uh, that customer centric approach needs to be throughout the organization. Every single person in the organization needs to understand what the customer value proposition is and everybody moving in the same direction. I think the uh, silos uh, is what is, uh, you know, causes that, that, that uh, uh, non-unified uh, front. I, I feel like uh, those two are the key words for me. Thank you, Balaji. This has been, uh, it's been very interesting, uh, very informative. I mean, we've had people from different areas of the supply chain and we're talking about technology. So it was great to finally have someone with IT background to give us an idea of like, you know, how many times we were making these decisions and we, when we bring IT in the last moment to come and solve it. So thank you for opening our, our eyes to, to, to the, the challenges of your point. No, thank you. It was a fascinating conversation. Uh, thanks a lot uh, for inviting me and I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. This was the Supply and Chain Podcast. You can see more episodes on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. Remember to leave a review, like, and subscribe if you want more content like this. See you next time.